This morning, we're going to kind of explore the word holiness. What I was interested in doing this week and maybe next week is just kind of taking some of these words that we have in our vocabulary that is, is these very churchy words. We have these words that you use like on a Sunday, but you'll never use on the rest of the week, if you know what I mean. How many of you this past week actually used the word holy in your day-to-day talking and, and just being out there in the, in the, in the world and your jobs and whatnot? <laughs> there's, some, there's some uses of the word holy. Um, sometimes that, sometimes like, you know, in shock and awe, uh, sometimes not so positive where somebody maybe accuses you of being maybe holier than, than thou. Um, but it's this word that, you know, in the context of a church or a Sunday, it's something that you use often. But rarely would you use it outside of these buildings. And I think sometimes, even when we get to some of these very churchy words, you kind of know what it means, but uh, maybe you're too embarrassed to really like talk about, like, what does that even mean? What, is, what do you mean when you say the word holy? What does holiness even mean? And, and what I'm kind of interested in doing with you today is just exploring through Scripture how the biblical authors would use the word holy. What the biblical authors are trying to, to teach us when we do use this word holy in, in their language. I, I think it's a shame that the word holy is not used the way maybe the biblical author would use it because it's such a rich and, and deep word that has huge impacts and and so anyway, this morning, I just want to take a little bit of time just kind of exploring through that. We're going to kind of trace that word holy through several different scriptures. Uh, we'll start in Exodus, which is the very first time we see the word holy show up. And we'll kind of pop through a couple things. And I'm hoping to land at just, just exposing and opening up that word a little bit to help us understand what it means, what its significance is in scripture, and, and why I think it's a really important word for us to understand on a deeper level. To kind of get us started, I, I want to talk about what an experience that you might have that might be described as holy. Um, holy is just one of those things that I think is just like, it's, it's a very much an experience of, of holiness is what you have when you come ac- across that word. When I was younger, my dad took uh, me and my brother camping up to this one Canadian provincial park. It's called Algonquin uh, Provincial Park. I don't know if you ever heard of this park, but it's, it's north, north, north across the border. It is a huge park. And this one particular place that we're camping out, all the campsites were uh, a canoe ride away. So you park your car, you get the canoe into the water, and which was a fascinating experience because the amount of gear that got into that canoe and the clearance that you had on the sides there, you know, if you can imagine like a canoe just like, you know, into the water real deep and then dad's like, all right, get in, you know, just like, (laughs) I don't know about that, dad. So, um, so, but it was a fantastic experience. Um, We, we canoe to this one island. It was called Bear Island. There's a future... Uh, sermon illustration it is not 
by chance. There's a reason why it was called Bear Island, but it's a great story. I can tell you after the sermon. And, and we camped out there. Now, one of the things, you know, at that time I was a middle schooler, growing up in western New York, you never grow to appreciate just how much light pollution there is around here. It's, it's a shame there's something like 70 to 80% of the country lives in a place in America where, where the amount of light pollution is so great that you can see only a handful of stars at nighttime. So when I was there, when I looked up in the sky, there was something that I saw that didn't even look real. Now, this is not my picture. Um, this is one that was taken at Algonquin State Park, and it's, it's one that looks like it's not real, and it looks like it's a Photoshop. But this is what the night sky looks like when there's just no light pollution and you can just see everything that the sky has to offer. And one of the most amazing things about this, looking back on this experience, is if you can imagine middle school kids underneath the night sky like this, and wouldn't you know it, my dad would get like half hour, hour, a long period of just silence from me and my brother. Because what was going on as we looked up in that sky, it was just like this, this otherness, this thing that was just so incredible um, and so amazing that you just kind of pause and you can't help but stare at everything you're seeing, everything that's going on there in the sky. And, and even this picture, it's just, you know, I'm trying to help you connect with this, but there, there's something about actually being underneath this kind of sky and seeing this above you. Um, it got even more amazing the next night because, wouldn't you know it, the very next night, the sky was green because the northern lights came out the very next night. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced northern lights. It is the weirdest thing I have ever seen in my life. Just literally ribbons of green just kind of waving in the sky there and just kind of spanning the sky from one side to the other. And these kinds of things, the, the, the sky that's just unobstructed from light pollution, the northern lights, that dusty part that you see there is the center of our galaxy that you're looking at. Some of the, th the things you see in there, they look like blobs, right? They're kind of like these blobby things in there. Those blobs are actually other galaxies just hanging out there in the night sky. There's this transcendent type thing that happens when you look at the night sky like that, that just redefines all your categories. When you're going along in life, you kind of think that you're the center of the world. This thing is like you just have a very like, you know, me-centered type focus on what's going on there. And then ever so often, you come across something like this that just completely redefines everything. It helps you understand just how small you really are. Just how big the world really is. Just how, um, how incredible and wonderful that the creation can be that you just never really understood and it just brings you outside of yourself. That idea 
is what the Bible kind of has its thumb on when it's trying to help us understand what holiness is. When the Bible's trying to help us understand that word holy, that's what it's trying to do is bring us out and understand something completely different, something that just redefines everything that we, we understood. It's other, it's unique, it's distinct, it's separate. And when we go through the Bible, the first time you would come across this word holy is actually in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And I want to start there, and this is going to be kind of our first step in just really opening it up and trying to understand what holy is and, and how the Bible helps us understand this word. So I'll put this up on the screen. It's going to be kind of tough to camp out um, in your, your Bibles this morning. If you have a electronic Bible, you'll be able to pop around a little bit better, but we'll be in Exodus 3, we'll hit Leviticus and some Isaiah, so keep up everyone, all right? Let's read through Exodus chapter 3. I want to point out a couple things to you here. And just kind of, again, we're, we're exploring this word holy. What does it mean? And what is the author of, of Exodus trying to help us understand here? So Exodus 3, we're talking about a man named Moses. Um, Moses, of course, is uh, a guy that was a, the prince of one of the princes of Egypt. He killed the guy. He fled. He's now in the wilderness. He's been a shepherd for several decades at this point. I'm sure you've seen the movie. I'm sure you've seen the, the cartoon, whatever it is you've seen. Here we have Moses, now a shepherd for a very long time. And we pick up his story here in chapter 3. And we read in verse 1 that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Now, Again, we're trying to read this maybe with fresh eyes. When a dry bush catches fire, what is it supposed to do? I trust you guys have had a bonfire before. Have you thrown the pine needles into the bonfire? Those things just catching fire and just go up and smoke real, real quick. And so here Moses comes across a burning bush and he's like, oh, well, these things are supposed to burn when they catch on fire, but seems not to be the case here. That's a strange sight. And so he starts off, he's intrigued, and he says, I'm going to go over there and check that out. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Think what this story is, is doing to us. Here, here's the problem. You've read this story so many times. You've read this time and time again. You've seen the movie. This is supposed to be strange, right? How many people came to church and a bush talked to them this morning? You probably don't want to raise your hand if that's the case anyways, right? How many people saw a bush that just caught fire and just like didn't burn up in front of you? 
even more strange. I, I love Moses' response. Like a bush starts calling to him, and he's like, yeah, what's up? Here I am. What do you need? And so look at what's happening here. The, the bush is on fire. The bush is talking to me. This is different. This is something that's not supposed to happen. This is something that, that is not normal, something that is not supposed to happen. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And so there we see this interesting change in just the the emotional response that Moses has to the situation. How does Moses feel when he first sees the bush that's burning? It's interesting, right? That's kind of neat. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go over there and look at it. And it's called my name. That's kind of cool. I'm going to see what's going on with that. But then the bush starts talking to him and starts telling him that he is God and that the space that he's trying to enter into is holy. And all of a sudden, Moses goes from being curious and then goes to being terrified. Let's kind of unpack this just a little bit that is going on here. Because what we see here is, is a very interesting story that's it's supposed to be talking to us about this idea of holiness, something that is different, something that is unique, set apart. And here we have Moses that is, is curious at first, but then becomes terrified. What is God asking Moses to do? He's asking him to, to come near, right? To come closer to him. But the problem is, is that the space around where the bush is has become holy. And this is something we'll kind of explore as we're landing this morning. But for right now, what we're looking at here is that here, here's this bush that's representing God. And God, is, his, his presence is there, and he's inviting Moses to, to come into his presence. But to come into his presence, Moses has to do what? He has to change, right? There's something about Moses that prevents him from entering into this holy space. And here we see that, that God here, God is holy, but also that he's creating the space around him that becomes holy. And for Moses to be able to enter into that space, he has to change. Now, we, we get this kind of idea, right? Um, there's certain places in our lives that are very distinct and designated space, and we have to change to come into that space, right? If you go to the movies... What do you have to change about your cell phone? If you're a nice person. Or if you're in church, actually. <laughs> what should you do? You should silence. We understand this idea, though, just like you have to change. And so Moses is being called into this holy space that where God is, and he's being called to, to change something about him. Now, in the story, he's being told to take off his sandals. This is kind of like bonus stuff and for the Bible trivia after a church that we have. What is it about his sandals? Why has he got to take that off? What's his job? 
He's a shepherd. So what do you think he's been doing all day long? Kids on the way home ask the parents, like, what is it on the bottom of those sandals that he's got to take off? But there's, there's something about those sandals that, that are not clean that he has to take off and he has to change himself and who he is so that he can actually come into the presence of God. This idea of something has to change so that we can be in the presence of a holy God is something that's explored continually out through these first five books of the Bible. We read the importance of changing and and being able to be in this presence because there's something about that space, that holy space, that, that we need to change to be able to go into that area. Moses leaves this place. Actually, first, let me actually define this before we move on from this spot because this is, again, one of those words in English definition versus what the biblical definition or the Hebrew definition doesn't always quite line up. Let's nerd out a little bit with the Bible. It's okay. No problem. The English word is holy. Who wants to take a stab at pronouncing that Hebrew word? Kadosh. Is that what you said? Pretty good. Kadosh. And when we use that word kadosh, that kadosh space, it's unique. It's set apart. It's designated. It's something that is designated for a very particular thing. Just like the movie theater is designated for something, church is designated for something, even out there stargazing and watching the sky, there's certain things that would be appropriate for that space and certain things that would be inappropriate for that space. Somebody coming along and shining a giant spotlight in your face would not be appropriate. My brother bothering me with something while I'm trying to look at the the galaxies out there. Inappropriate, right? Totally not cool. Moses here encounters, for the first time, the the holy space. Again, the emotional response is interesting of both both being curious, but then also being terrified. Is it good to be invited into the presence of God? Is that a good thing? Of course it's a good thing. But there's this paradox that we begin to explore as Moses leaves this place and he goes out and he, he brings his people out of Egypt and um, funny enough, they come out of Egypt and where do they stop and start actually receiving commandments from God and all these instructions from God? The same mountain that this bush was on. And so God starts to explore with them what it would take for a holy God to be in the presence of his people. And we read all these really weird laws, right? All these weird purity laws, and they construct this this tent and this tabernacle, and God's presence comes right down into that area right there. All Leviticus is kind of exploring just all the things that you and I would have to do to actually enter into that holy space. And we actually kind of sum it all up once we get to the book of Leviticus, where where God kind of gives them this scripture right here, and he says to them, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because 
I am holy. And so the command to be holy, to be holy like him, is given to us in Leviticus. And the tent and the tabernacle is also created. But again, it creates this interesting paradox because that space within the tabernacle becomes a holy space. And is it good to be called into the presence of God? Yes. But what we see in Leviticus is that it's not only good, but it's also dangerous to be in that holy presence. There's story after story where people come into that presence of holy God, and because they're unclean, because they are not holy, they're killed, they're struck down, and terrible things happen to them. And so this holy idea, the set-apartness that we, we see happening throughout Scripture, it is a paradox because it is both good and dangerous. It's not a, a or or a but, but an and. It is both good and dangerous. And so the Bible kind of takes us through, and again, I'm hoping you're, you're tracking here of what exactly this is. What I want to kind of explore with you on the second half here is just what the purpose of this holiness is and what God's intent with holy um, is in our own lives. God gives all these commands to be holy, like we read here in Leviticus. He calls you and I to be like him, holy, set apart, designated, unique. By the way, what's the opposite of holy? Common, right? We're called to be unique and set apart and not common, not like everything else you see around here, to be set apart and different. And there's this calling on God for you and I to be, um, be those unique people that follow him in his footsteps and are holy in a reflection of who he is, his righteousness, his justice, his love, his, his, um, his love of creation and supporting and, and perpetuating life, not death in this world. Um, that's our call in our lives. How does it go for the Israelites, by the way? How do they do in this mission to be holy? Terrible. They fail time and time again. And, and they fall short of, of that call to be holy. Prophet after prophet come forth, and they kind of see just how short we have fallen from being, called, being a holy people. And one particular prophet, Isaiah, comes on the scene, and he is just beating the drum on how far apart we are from God and his call to be holy. In some ways, you can kind of ask yourself, like, what, what is going on here when we talk about God's call for being holy and how we are to behave and how we are to, to imitate that holiness? And the laws and the decrees and the commands that he gives us, in many ways, just show us just, just how far of a gap there is from us being in the presence of God and enjoying his presence and enjoying, enjoying him just being in our lives intimately because of just how far short we have fallen of that call to be holy. And so in Isaiah, this prophet comes along and he wants to start exploring this a little bit more. And we read in Isaiah 6 where he actually has a, a vision of, of what is going on with this holiness and 
Isaiah 6 is in a very important set of scripture. Because this actually starts to reveal what God intends to do with his holiness and what his purpose and long-term vision is here. Um, again, when you go through scripture and we talk about what, what the temple has done and that, that system of purity and a system of ritual cleansing herself is meant to do, it just creates this obvious gap between us and God and how far apart we are from his call to be holy and just how how impossible it is for us to actually be in the presence of God. And so then Isaiah comes on the scene, and he actually has this vision. And I want to explore this with you, and this is where we're going to start landing, because if holiness is is the, the, the set-apart uniqueness of God, and God is holy, and we are not, then there's a problem that we have here. And how can we overcome that gap that exists between a holy God who's set apart and, and, and unique and, and us that, that God longs to be in, in communion with and fellowship with. Because to be called into the presence of God is a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And so let's look at Isaiah 6 here, verse 1 through 4 first. In that year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This right here, this is a vision that Isaiah had. Does this mean he was actually there? Probably not. But something that God is granting him, some kind of vision that he is showing him, some kind of dream that he is experiencing, where... He is in the presence of a seraphim, which is a very, very gnarly looking creature. Typically, our modern understanding of angels, it's really more of like a Roman view. Um, When you start going through the biblical visual explanations of what angels look like, they truly are creatures. They are wild. Cherubim are wild looking. Seraphim, they're wild looking uh, there's some other very vivid uh, exploration of what these creatures look like in Ezekiel, but they are they are not a fat baby with a diaper with wings. Um, that's that is that is not what they have here. And so here's Isaiah, who's right there in the presence of the Lord, high and exalted, and there's a seraphim creature that is. Six wings covering different parts of his body and flying there. And when he is reciting this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, is he kind of speaking to you like I'm speaking to you right now? No, this is, this is him like, like shouting this. It is so loud that, what does it say there at the very end? At the sound of their voices, what is happening? Doorposts are shaking, and the temple is just being 
filled with smoke. What the, the author is trying to show you here is just this is like a, a wild, wild scene. I'm here. I'm in front of this giant throne. There's smoke everywhere. There's the seraphim, and they are shouting that is shaking the entire house. Um, if you have children, I don't know if they've ever cranked up the Paw Patrol until you know the house is shaking. But but th- that's that's the scene that you're trying to see here is that it is it is a, a assault on the senses, and and here he is in front of all of this. What does Isaiah respond when he sees this? What does he say? When all this is going on, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now stop again and just look at what's happening here. Here's Isaiah in the presence of a holy God with these creatures screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And and right now, does Isaiah think that God's his buddy, God's his friend? No, he thinks he's about to get smoked. He thinks that he's about to get removed from this creation. And and again, what, what the author is trying to do it's the same exact thing that that bush did to Moses. It's the same exact thing that the stars without light pollution is doing to you. It's supposed to remind you that, that this world does not revolve around you, that there is something greater than all of us, that there is something completely other, completely distinct completely just unique amongst every other thing in this world. And it's meant to just bring you out of that place. And, and this right here is an appropriate response to a situation that is holy. We are supposed to just be like, oh my goodness, I am ruined. I am small. I am frail. When we encounter the holiness of God, it is supposed to change you is supposed to do something inside of you that shakes you from where you are in your life. When you experience the holiness of God, there is something that is transformational that is supposed to happen. Now here's the problem. When Isaiah experiences that holiness of God, what is his response? I mean, here's the author of all creation the perfect definition of, of, of justice, the perfect definition of righteousness, the, the perfect definition of love. And when I come in face-to-face with that and, and, and examine my life and think about who I am as a person, who I am, um, it, it's supposed to break you, like Isaiah is broken right now. The holiness of God is supposed to change you like this. Here in Isaiah, he kind of expresses just this terrified feeling. And, and again, this paradox of, of God's holiness, of it being good and dangerous at the same time. Um, and we read here in Isaiah, in the last few verses here, what is really 
what God intends to do with his holiness. Um, all throughout scripture and all this lead up here, um, when we're talking about the bush and we're talking about um, Leviticus, which I know is everyone's favorite book in here, um, and all the, the purity laws and all the requirements on, on how to be clean and the gap that we have between us and God, um, all of scripture, especially the Old Testament, points us to how this can't be our plan here, everyone. Like, if we're going to rely on us getting this right, we're in trouble here. And so, what does God intend to do with his holiness? Let's finish out the verse. Then, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Who saw that coming, by the way? <laughs> and this is, this is such a, a different scripture that we read. And again, some of these things are, are enhanced by understanding all the different stories that you see through the Old Testament. Because is this supposed to happen? When that holy holy God comes into contact with us who are unholy, what's supposed to happen? What happens when Aaron's son go into the holy place drunk? What happens when that one dude touches the covenant when it's about to fall, when he wasn't supposed to? What happens when unclean things try or do come in contact with a holy God? They're smoked right then and there. This is not supposed to happen. But what the story is showing us here is that God's holiness somehow is being brought to us. Isaiah doesn't go to it. Instead, it comes to us, the hot coal. It touches him. I don't know if that was pleasant or not. Guessing probably not. Touches him on his lips. And then what does the scripture say happens? His guilt is removed. And his sins are atoned for. When we read through an understanding of holiness, it is unique. It is set apart. It is who God is. And he is described here in this as not just being holy, but holy, holy, holy. And one of the things that scripture shows us throughout the Old Testament is the gap between you and I and a holy God. We flash forward several years, we finally understand what Isaiah is getting at here, right? Because who is the one that invades our space? Who is the one that goes out from God and invades our, our personal space to bring holiness to us? So we understand that to be Jesus. We understand that to be Christ that comes into our lives and helps confront us because I truly believe that what you see here is what Christ does. Christ comes into your life. He confronts you. He points out our shortcomings and how we fail to live up to God's definition of holiness. But, but even though we've fallen short, Jesus comes into our lives and helps us to become holy, like God, and helps to begin to transform your heart and to actually help you Submit to God and be holy like he is.
a few moments, we're about to go into a time of communion. And, and communion is, is a celebration of this idea of God coming into our lives and helping us to overcome our shortcomings, our, our failures as people. Um, when we understand how God is holy, it's supposed to break you. But we're also supposed to be thankful because Christ has come into our life and helped us to be holy like he is. God's presence, he's calling every single person to be in, in communion and in, in fellowship with him. And that's a good thing, but it could be dangerous. But Christ comes into our world and helps us to bring us into the presence of God. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for this time. Um, God, we're so grateful for just um, just a little bit of time to explore what holiness means. Um, God, I just pray that um, you help us to just connect with your holiness and understanding just how important that is. And God, I just pray that we would look in our lives and just and ask as Christ to transform different areas that are not holy, that are not set apart, but are common, Lord. God, we're just so thankful and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name.